Welcome to Canaan Bound Podcast, Episode 11. I'm Tom Barthel, currently serving as pastor at Christ Lutheran Church, a Wells congregation in Baxter, Minnesota. We'll begin with God's Word for You by Pastor Timothy Smith. God's Word for You, Job 2, verses 11 to 13. We now meet Job's three friends. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. These three men sent word to one another when they heard about Job's trouble, and they met together by agreement. He, uh, the, the Hebrew is Ve'yeva uh, edu. This is the word used for the way kings met before making war in Joshua 11.2. So we see that there was some kind of planning involved as the friends met to plan how they would bring or help or consolation to their friend. The word sympathize in Hebrew, nud, sometimes means to go here and there. And it's what Cain says he will do, becoming a restless wanderer, going here and there in the land in Genesis 4.12 and 14. The land of Cain's wandering is even described as the land of Nod, a play on the verb Nod. Here in this form, it doesn't mean to wander or go back and forth, but to rock back and forth or to sway in sympathy with Job as he groaned and rocked back and forth. We'll, we'll discuss each of these three men more as we meet them individually, but it can't hurt to remind ourselves about what we know from their locations. Eliphaz was a Temanite a man from a land in what we think of now as Edom, known for the great wisdom and common sense of his people. Bildad was a Shuhite, perhaps related to Abraham's son Shua, quite possibly a grandson or great-grandson to Abraham himself. We don't know much about the Shuhites, but this man Bildad comes across as a man who relies on tradition. Zophar was a Naamathite. Cain had a female descendant named Naamah, but that line perished in the flood. Another woman named Naamah was an Ammonite princess in 1 Kings 14. The Ammonites were descended from Abraham's nephew Lot through the incest of Lot's daughter. The Naamah in 1 Kings is the mother of King Rehoboam. Like Rehoboam, this Zophar the Naamathite is a hothead who tends to side with his friends without thinking very hard. Let's read verses 12 and 13. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him, because they saw how great his suffering was. Their grief and their mourning was genuine. Here was the man who had been the greatest man among all the peoples of the East, reduced to a disfigured, emaciated, impoverished shadow of his former self. Of all the things we learn from these men throughout the book and the 23 chapters of their speeches, this passage is, I think, the most important one. They didn't rush into Job's sick room with all the answers. Before any of them opened their mouths, they gave him their sympathy and their silent company. For someone who is suffering, just being there is often just as important as any words we might have to say. I remember to this day a moment in time when a family member was dying and my godparents took me to the hospital cafeteria to get something to eat. They didn't say anything. They were just there for me. It meant more than I could say, but I think about it still. Whenever I'm with families facing a similar situation, 
We don't know how long these men were with Job in all, but this much we do know. The first week was spent in silence and in sympathy. Even when we don't know what to say, being there can be enough. Best of all is remembering who, who it is who is truly there for us. Jesus said, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you. Surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. In Christ, I am Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's Word for you. This short devotion is shared by Pastor Aaron Nitz. The portion of God's Word that we are looking at today is is a part of Jesus' temptation found in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. You remember, right? Mom just baked a fresh batch of chocolate chip cookies, and you know, therefore, after supper. But when Mom turned her back, what happened? We face temptations every day, don't we? Temptations that are much more serious and ruining than ruining our appetite for supper. Temptations to sin, to doubt God, to do what we know is wrong. The result? Often don't we have to admit that we give in? There is one who never gave in to temptation's lure. The devil came at Jesus with the full force of his temptations in order to get him to give in and fall. But Jesus stood firm, never gave in once. Why? So he could be the perfect substitute for you and me. Jesus resisted the temptation in full in your place. And now he gives you the strength to fight the devil's temptations through his word, the sword of the Spirit. The devil can't stand up to God's word. In fact, one little word can fell him. I'm sure thankful to to be set free from temptation slavery, and so are you. God bless you on your day. The following piece, titled The Sower, was created at the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod, North Atlantic District, in 2011, on their Labor Day retreat in Barrington, Massachusetts. The song led by Spark and Echo is a response to Mark 4, verses 1-20, through 20, the parable of the sower.
For Canaan-bound devotion today, we continue at Genesis chapter 12, reading verses 10 through 13. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while, because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Abram, you recall, is now in the land of Canaan. God told him to be there. But, as believers must often do, you have to use your wisdom to make decisions without God's direct guidance. With all God-fearing wisdom, Abram moved from Canaan for a short while to live in Egypt. He had to. There was a famine in the land, a severe one. From time to time, you and I will have to make decisions. And God doesn't directly tell us exactly which path is the right or the best path. He gives us the wisdom to make the right choice. And, as Abram does here, we are to choose whatever path is best in line with God's revealed will for us. Often, there's more than one right choice. Sometimes all the choices seem to be equal. Despite God's command for Abram to travel to Canaan, he rightly made a temporary detour for the well-being of his family and flocks but we can sometimes cross the line between making a choice in God-fearing wisdom to save our family and ceasing to trust in the Lord to provide and care for us. Abram was now going to cross that line. Now he was in the land of Egypt. He reasoned it would be up to his cunning to survive. He instructs his wife to lie about her relationship with him. Since she was so beautiful and his wife, his life could be in danger, he reasoned. His motive was revealed. Then I will be treated well, and my life will be spared for your sake. This lie was wrong on so many levels. Not only was Abram putting his own safety above the well-being of his wife, he was worried that he might be killed. God had promised him and appeared to him to assure him this would not happen. And to top it all off, Abram was putting at risk the promise that Abram would have his own offspring through Sarai. What would people think if she now became pregnant, if she was taken in by a ruler in Egypt? Abram was willing to put God's promise and reputation on the line to save his own skin. 
The devil is the father of all lies. He was a liar and murderer from the beginning. Abram's selfish lie was his caving in to the tempter and turning aside from confident trust in his Lord. Abram doubted God's protection and care even when he had a very special promise from God. Our promise from God is no less special. He promises to watch over us, send his angels to protect us, to be with us, to work all things for our good, and bring us safely to his heavenly kingdom. We are members of his kingdom, now and heirs of his promised eternal kingdom. Do we make our decisions in life with these promises always before us? Or do we ever try to worry that, ever worry he won't do enough to protect us and provide for us? Do we ever feel like we need to, like Abram, do what it takes to provide for our own safety and comfort, even if it involves deception and lies? You might take a job, make a major purchase, or have a life-changing decision, but do you want your motive to be known to others? Is it selfish? Or is it godly? Is it made with confidence in your Lord, or self-serving pride? Abram's lies were self-serving and put others at risk. What was his, his motive in all this? Well, what are our motives when we make decisions for our families, when trying to deceive others? Because Jesus our Lord never chose to diverge from God's will, never sought a selfish end, he endured the cross. He paid the price for all of our selfish decisions. He lived in perfect confidence in the Father. All this he did in our place. God raised him to glory and promises to give us new life, the life of glory for Jesus' sake. Take the opportunity to make decisions that are according to God's will. And when you feel hard-pressed and in danger, continue to trust in his promises and his care until you, with Abram and Sarai, one day enter his promised rest, his eternal rest. We're glad to share Passage and Prayer by Pastor David Beckman. Genesis 22, verse 2. Then God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Dear Father, we can't imagine taking the life of our only child. It seems so unreasonable that you would ask such a thing of Abraham. But we thank you for this graphic lesson. You have taught us that you did what we could never do. You gave up the Son whom you love. You sent Jesus to die for us in a way far more horrible than by a knife through the chest. He absorbed your judgment against sin on the cross. How can we ever thank you enough for this loving gift? Help us begin to try. Turn everything we do into a loving thank-offering of praise for what Christ has done for us. Let the love that we show and share point to Jesus, your greatest gift of love. Increase our love for the Savior, so that we are moved to make great sacrifices to your glory and for the benefit of others. Deepen our understanding of your message of love in the scriptures, so that your saving love flows through us to others. We ask this for the sake of Jesus, your gift of love to us. Amen. 
The following mission blog update, Red Forest by Terry Bauer, was shared on Wells.net first in February of 2013. Chris Blogger is a volunteer with Lutheran Bible Translators with Wells Mission in Zambia. He is helping to translate the Bible into the Swanee language. Chris writes about his attendance at a funeral in Zambia. Last Thursday, I went to the first village funeral I have attended in Zambia. The deceased was a three-year-old boy, the grandson of a Lutheran pastor, and the son of one of our Zenga translator applicants. I drove out to the village with one of the other Lutheran missionaries and three pastor friends. Misulu village is about 38 kilometers from Pitaki town. When we arrived, there were hundreds of people sitting around the parsonage, which was the funeral house and the nearby church. Many of them had been there all night. We were ushered into the sitting room of the parsonage where the coffin was laid out. When there is a funeral, all the furniture is taken out of the house and everyone sits on the floor. So we paid our condolences and we sat quietly just being there. Eventually, the choir started singing, and the ladies from the congregation filed into the sitting room as well. This was a cue for us to go over to the church and await the start of the funeral. While we were waiting for everyone to gather, we paid our respects to the pastor whose home it was and whose grandson had passed away. He was very ill with malaria and was lying on a mat in the sacristy of the church so we could see and participate in the service, but still have privacy. Then we waited in front of the church. The ladies, the choir, and the family members all proceeded from the house to the church. Then everyone else filed in. Two of the pastors who had ridden with me were presiding at the service. One greeted the congregation and gave a blessing. We sang a few hymns. I offered to share my chewy hymnal with the other missionary, but he told me he unfortunately knew the funeral hymns all too well. Pastor read the passage from Mark about, Let the little children come to me. He then spoke briefly about the sure and certain promises that God makes to us in baptism, and how his great love extends especially to little children. Then Pastor preached a message about how death is a warning to us that sin is a destructive force in our lives, and that even as God gives the warning, he also provides the answer, Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead and promises that we will someday rise as well. I didn't follow all of the sermon, since it was in pure senga, but I caught enough to hear the comfort in Pastor's words. After the service, we all walked to the burial site. It was about a mile down a very rough road. About halfway there, it started raining. Someone gave me and the pastors umbrellas, but honestly, the wind was blowing so much they didn't help much. At the grave site, we Americans stood by the two Zambian pastors, who in their soaking black robes led the congregation in a few short prayers. There was no formality to lowering the coffin into the grave. It was just put in directly by the people who had carried it. The church lady sang a song. The men smashed a sleeping mat with a hoe and put it over the coffin. Pastor tossed in the first handful of dirt 
and then the men all shared the honor of filling in the grave. Each man put in about five shovels full, then passed his tool to the next man. We were all soaked to the skin. The walk home was long. The road was flooded, and in some parts the rushing rainwater was over our ankles. I did my best to hold my umbrella over Pastor while I asked him questions about his sermon. When we got back to the church, we all tried to dry off as best we could. Many people were seen wringing water out of their socks. The pastors I had driven excused themselves, so we didn't stay for the meal. The rain made the drive back tricky, but thanks to our 4WD, we didn't get stuck. Funerals like this one happen every day here. In fact, between Pataki and Misolo, we passed four other funeral gatherings. There is much sadness here and much need for the saving comfort of Jesus Christ. Posted to the wall of the church in Misolo is a handwritten, hand-drawn picture of Jesus with a quotation from Matthew 11. Translated, it reads, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There are many people with many heavy burdens, and Jesus is waiting to take all those burdens and exchange them for rest to their souls. You can read more blogs like this at wellsnet slash missions. We'll close this episode with a hymn. Christian worship hymn number 434, Lord, You I Love With All My Heart, shared on the Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary podcast for their chapel services.
You have been listening to episode 11 of Canaanbound Podcast. To learn how you can support the various artists and ministries featured on Canaanbound Podcast, visit com. We'd like to thank sparkandecho.org for sharing The Sower, the recording of the North Atlantic District Special Labor Retreat Song. The hymn which we shared was from a recording of the Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary Chapel Services. Visit wls.wells.net to hear the whole chapel service. Once again, my name is Tom Barthel. It was a privilege to be your host for this episode. We encourage you to visit wells.net to find a Wells ministry location near you. Thanks for listening. He who has ears, let him hear.